Welcome to Tech on Deck podcast brought to you by Fidelity Investments. I'm your host, Maureen Olajars, Domain Leader, Software Engineering, and Adam Ely, Chief Information Security Officer. Each episode takes listeners inside the walls of a fintech industry. Anything from cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, cloud, and crypto, to the intersection of product and technology. Tech on Deck breaks down the topics top of mind for technologists today. Plus, we'll give you insight into the exciting and challenging careers in fintech. Welcome back to another episode of Tech on Deck. I'm Adam Ely, Head of Digital Products and Engineering at Fidelity. And I'm Maureen Olajars, Head of Software Engineering at Fidelity. We are super excited for this episode as we have a special guest joining us today, Fidelity's Head of Artificial Intelligence Innovation, Vipin Meyer. Vipin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So Vipin, if we get started here today, we have a lot of things that we could talk to you about. You know, AI is such an exciting topic. And as a hot topic, it's an understatement. And based on your career, we're going to learn a lot more about all of that and what you're doing. So what we'd like to do is start off with, tell us a little bit about your views on artificial intelligence and what led you to the position, how you think about it in the industry and career opportunities that exist out there. All right. So let's just begin by saying artificial intelligence is at the top of the hype curve. And it's been there for many, many years, which means that the expectations from AI far exceed the expectations from any other technology. We at Fidelity have been focused on it for quite a while. I've been leading this for the last seven, eight years. And over the course of these seven, eight years, we've done hundreds of use cases. We have filed for over 120 patents, published over 50, 60 papers. So there's a lot that's been done, Maureen, in the space of AI. Perhaps I'll begin by just highlighting the work for you, and then you can ask me some I more think questions. That's great. Yeah. Regarding the work, there's the thing about AI is that it is very broad term. It can be applied to almost every aspect of a company's business. And uh, I would bucket all our work in two buckets. Bucket number one is things we do for our customers. And bucket number two is things we do for the productivity of our employees. Now, on the customer side, maybe I'll give you a few examples just to make it come alive and bring out the strength of what we've done. So one of the things we did, we were very early on this. We decided we needed to understand the intent of a customer when they were interacting with us. So Adam, if you were calling us, or Maureen, if you were on the website, we have AI that's looking at your behavior and your profile and then determining the purpose of your interaction. And if it's a call, we then send you to the right rep. If you're online, we try and give you the content you're seeking. It's been a real big boon in improving customer satisfaction and driving to successful outcomes. Another big piece on the customer side is our customers are looking to plan their financial matters with us. And there's certain inertia in setting up a plan. We are using AI to create what I call default plans for you so that the barrier for starting a plan goes away. You can look at what we've done for you and you can lift off from there. And then there's a lot of work we do around paper and processing it in, in an automated way so we can take the friction and delays for anything that's associated with paper. Let's look at things we've done for associates and drive productivity. 
Again, there are many, many here, but I'll begin with advisors. Advisors that are on the front line have a ton of appointments. Each appointment is a very important moment with a customer. There's a lot of preparation that goes into these appointments. We've created an appointment prep tool that synthesizes the whole relationships, gives them recommendations, gives them suggestions, big boom for them, improves the interaction, and makes them more productive. Then we've also embraced co-pilots, especially with Gen AI. A co-pilot is an assistant to the human being, and we've got co-pilots running in many different places, including in the development area, plus with our knowledge workers that are looking to synthesize a lot of vast amount of data, and the AI helps them summarize it. Those are just a few examples, again, a lot of breadth of use cases, and we're doing some really, really innovative work in all these use cases. I think that's great. Thanks. There's so much in there. I mean, to your point, there's so much in there to understand about AI. I'm going to give you a softball question. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're going to expect this with your background, but I think it's a good grounding point yeah. and it, it builds on sort of your end thing. You mentioned Gen AI right there. What's your view on Gen AI right now? Gosh. So let's just for a moment, Adam, just take a step back because I want to ground my view on what we are seeing. And you might remember the moment you first heard about ChatGPT. November of 2022, the day it came out, the next day I was on GPT-3.5 looking at it and I was blown away by its capability. And that happened to millions and millions of people. And fast forward now, Gen AI is now integrated into everyone's psyche. And we've got to give credit to ChatGPT for creating this word and this momentum for us. Now, what is Gen AI? Before I give you a view, let me just tell you what Gen AI is. Very simply, these algorithms are creating new content, be it videos, be it text, be it images, be it all kinds of strategy documents. And the other thing to know about Gen AI is it's done by large language models that are fed tons and tons of word, and it uses pattern detection to create content. And that's an important concept in that it really doesn't try and understand the meaning of the question, it really creates a pattern around the outcome. So it's been very successful and these models are now everywhere. So I feel Gen AI is transformational. A good analogy which people have used, it's like early days of electricity. It's here, it's gonna transform a lot of things. It does have a lot of issues, which we will get into, but it is here and the amount of money that's going into it, I couldn't add up the number of zeros in that. <laughs> it, it is innovating at a fabulous, fabulous pace, and we're expecting a lot of really exciting things to come out really soon. So let me pull on that a little bit. If we say we're in the early days, just like when electricity first came out, it's maybe in one or two cities, but everybody understands it, or everybody knows what it is. I'm not gonna say everybody understands it. I think few of us do. Uh, or I put another way, many of us, me, do not. What do you expect in maybe 2024, the next year? So it's second year uh, kind of out there in the mainstream. What are you expecting to see? Is there some great big new things? Do you think it's just more adoption? I'm curious, what do you think that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're expecting a lot. And I expect it's going to, the application of Gen AI in different verticals is going to come out in 2024. Probably give you five or seven quick things on what we expect. So the first thing is we expect this will become multimodal. So today, GPT is largely text with some images, but you're going to see a lot of these models become multimodal. Second thing, the term large language models has been used, and it's because these models are large. 
a trillion different learning functions in them. They consume a lot of electricity. In 2024, there's a big movement to make them much smaller, much, much, much smaller. So from a trillion come down to a few billion. And the reason is they're very expensive to run. And frankly, we don't have enough GPUs to run them. So you're gonna see much, much more smaller size. And the good news on that is they can then work on smaller devices, on the phone, on your watch. You're gonna see these generative AI applications become smaller. Now, the third thing, which maybe feel a little bit astounding to people is that the data being used to train these models will soon be synthetic data, artificially generated data. Now, that could feel bothersome, but the fact is a lot of the data that is being fed into the models has questionable quality in them, which leads to a phenomena called hallucinations. We won't go there as yet. There's a greater need for high quality data. And there's a feeling that we can manufacture high quality data from looking at high quality data that's real, but create synthetic versions of it. You're also going to see number four, you're going to see open source really, really start to catch up to the GPTs and start to overtake them. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to that. The next thing you're going to see is the prompt window, which is the interface that most people have into these models. It's going to become very, very powerful. It's going to have reasoning built into it. It may become the Excel of the future. Skills in prompt engineering. And then the last thing I would say is, you may remember this not so far back. When the app started coming on the iPhone, we would say there's an app for it. And we were just amazed, like there was an app for this and an app for that. Well, that's what's going to happen with these LLMs, large language models. There'll be an LLM for this and for that, for every single task. And a lot of that, I think, will happen in 2024. So it's interesting. I want to pull on something you said, but I'm going to come back to that in a second because there's something really interesting here. If I go back to say maybe just mid last year, and it's amazing, we're talking a timeline of like 15 months or something. I was just doing math in my head. If I go back to mid last year, the big conversation I heard everyone talk about was the limitation in electricity, GPU availability, and how this was going to stall the industry, stall the innovation. But what you're saying is they're sort of fixing that because they're, they're moving to these smaller models, trillions to billions, billions still feels yeah. pretty large yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but these smaller models, which aren't going to need as many GPUs and go onto the form factor, I can go onto my phone, go onto my laptop. And I also remember the conversations right after that of people talking about the quality of data, like they couldn't get good data to put in. So now we're looking as an industry to solve that problem by creating good data. So this industry sort of fixing its own problems to keep its innovation going. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's a very astute observation that the constraints that we saw last year are through innovation being addressed. I mean, you mentioned two of them. I mean, there's another very fundamental one that's coming out in research papers, which is the underlying transformer based methodology is very compute intensive, very, very compute intensive. And people are now looking at other methods that are not as compute intensive. And this is not a signal for saying that this is the end of the transformers, (laughs) (laughs) but they'll be supplemented or in certain cases substituted with less compute intensive methods. There's a lot to pull on there about like tech careers and just like how an industry, I think, that we thought, Maureen, that's like transformational AI just in general yep. is actually creating a bunch of now different opportunities for people as well. I think so. And a transformative industry that's trying to mature, yeah. right? Yeah, and be able it's to amazing. Scale. 
Vipin, before we uh, fully move off, there's something you mentioned, AI hallucination. This is a term that I hear a lot. A lot of people sort of throw around, but I think taking a minute to talk about that would be really good. Can you expand on that a bit and maybe give an example for people that aren't really familiar with the term or how the tech works so they can get their head around it? Yeah, hallucination, fascinating word from psychology. Roots go back to the 17th century. Now it's being brought up in context of AI. Kind of a little bit disturbing, (laughs) but it is a disturbing phenomena in that it refers to the instance where a large language model presents things as facts, but indeed it's not. Now, the first time it came, it became really public, and you may remember this, there was an incident happened last year where a lawyer referenced three citations of legal instances to present a case, and all those three, in fact, were non-factual. They were made up. And so the question that leads to in this is, Why is this model making things up? And that's what's called hallucinations. Now, the couple of things to remember. Firstly, it is a pleasing model. Its aim is to please you. If you ask it for something, it'll answer it for you. As yet, it doesn't have the sophistication to say, I don't know. It goes back and gives you the best pattern or sequence it thinks matches the words you're putting in. So we need it to be less friendly. We need it to say, no, I don't know enough of this. The second thing with hallucinations, since it's probably one of the biggest issues, is that there are methods to detect it. And now you're seeing models that are created within a large language model that check for hallucinations. For instance, simple thing like you ask a question, these checking models will create 10 versions or 50 versions of the same question and ask it to respond to different versions of the same question and see if it gives you the same answer. That's one instance. But we need it to be fixed. We need these hallucinations to go down. And it's largely a factor of it's seeing data that is not factual. And that's why back to your point of the industry fixing the issue, I think as we create more real high quality data, it'll get addressed as well. I feel like AI hallucination, students can now use that as an excuse in place of the dog ate my homework. Like if they're, if they're, if their term paper's just a little off, they can blame their co-pilot. For sure. How about bias? Yeah. You're asking such great questions around, you know, how do you know the response to a question is not biased? And I mean, that issue... Because that's different than hallucination. Right. And that's because the data it's seen is not truly representative. It's factual, but it's not a true representation of the population, for example. That issue has existed in AI for a long, long time. And prior to Gen AI, we had methods to check on the quality of data coming in by looking at distributions and quality of the output by looking at distributions. But Gen AI doesn't give us that same ability because it's being fed trillions and trillions of words. And on the output side also, it's very hard to know the bias detection piece. So I think it's another one of those issues that the industry is trying to get their arms around and it's being done by a set of models that then check for bias. And those models have been trained on biased data. So they've been trained by saying, this is biased, this is biased, and this is not a representation of bias. So you're seeing those models getting developed to check it. Fascinating. It's a fascinating industry and evolution, right, of technology and capability for the industry. 
So Vipin, as we've been talking about this technology, and we kind of touched on a couple times that this is kind of a, an emerging industry and there's a lot of people working on lots of things, even solving the industry's own problems to continue innovation. So it's a really interesting career space. I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about how did you get down this path and maybe what kind of people do you look for to join your team to work on these kinds of challenges and apply this technology? Yes, and I'll first speak about myself. And like you, I've been on the tech side and I've taken on non-tech product roles. Let me just go back in time. So I spent five years studying engineering and then went on to get a business degree in marketing and finance. My earlier career was in IT consulting. And I also happened to, in these consulting assignments, come across vast amounts of modeling data. And in the late 80s and early 90s, when I was doing this, saw that the quality of the modeling that was going on wasn't of high quality. And in some ways, a little bit shocking when I saw some of the largest companies in America basing their campaigns on predictive models that were not all that good. Anecdotally, if you don't, you know, since you're from the Boston area, you might find it interesting in the year 1992, which is what, roughly 30 years back, <laughs> I was in the throes of looking at models that were predicting cable behavior okay. and yeah. movie adoption. So there was a fair amount of consumer modeling going on, predictive analytics, not necessarily high quality. So I had that experience. And then I joined Fidelity for the first time in 1995 had a job on the institutional side running data and analytics. And then, you know, after six years, left Fidelity and had some very interesting experiences in New York City working for McCann. McCann's one of the largest global marketing company, works with some of the big brands and handles the entire marketing investment. And through that, just completely saw many different uh, verticals, how optimization was taking place. Uh, and those were the early days of digital Adam. So we were also looking at data that we had never seen before, exhaust and search and mobile. You know, it was a fascinating time. And happened to write a book on the topic and was actually surprisingly, I was trying to write a business book and then realized that no business person wanted to read it. But in <laughs> fact, it was a really good textbook. So I had some offers to teach in New York and it became a reference book on, on some courses. Fast forward from there, I rejoined here. And seven, eight years ago when AI in the days of big data started making a difference in image recognition and started understanding language, not generating it, which is now, but understanding it, we set up a center of excellence and I started leading that center of excellence. So my career took me from engineering to the business side uh, to AI, which requires both those skills, ideally. So one of the, one of the things I love about this is I've known some of your background, but I did not know the marketing work that you did. I didn't know you went down that path. And it just, it constantly reminds me that you never know what path somebody's going to take and where they're going to end up. But all these experiences come together for this value. That's an incredible journey. So when you think about 
where your team is today and where you're trying to go, are you looking for people to join that team with, with similar backgrounds as yours or different? Like what's that makeup? Yeah, yeah. And it's changing as we speak because the capabilities are getting more democratized. So I would say we look for four different skills. Now, if you're a unicorn, you have all four skills <laughs> in one person, <laughs> which I know the two of you might yeah, be. But most people, you know, you've got... Some combination of these, so, you know, I wouldn't be concerned if you don't check the box on all four. But if you do, please pick up the phone and call me. But otherwise, these are the four skills. So we look, we do look for math skills. Now, the math skills could be sufficient if you've done engineering or econ or math. Some people have gone all the way to do PhDs in math. That is still appealing to us because we'll put you on higher end problems. But you would check the box on math skills if you've done some quant-oriented education. The second thing we look for is computer science. And it could be programming skills. It could be just understanding hardware, operating system, software, and being able to program. So that's the second skill. The third skill we look for are data skills and actual experience with using large amounts of data, so the NoSQL instances. Hadoop, if you're familiar with you know, some of the methods MongoDB, just being able to work with large amounts of data would be the third skill. And the fourth one is business skills, because AI is solving business issues. And it's not understood that well. So we do like people who can understand the domain and think about applications for the business. So we have needs of all these four skills. And, you know, if you have these or some combination of these, uh, come join us. Well, you disqualified me as a unicorn as soon as you said math skills, so I was out there. Um, But, I mean, that's an amazing makeup. And I didn't expect, I was trying to predict where you were going. I didn't expect business skills. Uh, Makes a ton of sense as you explain it, but I did not expect that. That's really interesting. Well, I think for Vipani, he's been on the business side and in tech. I think it's a great combination. So this has been fantastic. We could talk for hours with you. So let's bring it back to AI and financial services industry and then kind of weave in what's exciting to you in the financial services industry. This is the industry we're in, in Fidelity. And then just talk about, you know, tech careers and how you might think about that. I think you know this, Maureen, that AI, there are certain sectors that lead when it comes to AI. Financial services is one yes. of them. <laughs> That's right. So right off the yeah. bat, financial services. As you already services, said, advisors it, and everything else. It's a great place to be money. at. Yes. Now, now you may say, why is that? So let's just unpeel that for a second and say, financial services has a lot of data, interaction, transaction data. Financial services tends to be quantitatively focused and has a great culture of measurement, experimentation, all necessary ingredients for AI. Financial services by itself has a very complex product. You're not selling a widget that is a quick impulse buy. You're selling something that takes over time and AI is good at handling complex problems because it requires human plus machine to come up with the right solve. Those would be some of the reasons. Now, I'm very bullish about people joining financial services and especially fidelity to place to make a career. And the reason is coming into financial services, you make a difference in people's lives. At the end of the day, you know, if you've solved an algorithm, it's not to sell something. It's really making a difference. Secondly, we have very high ethical 
standards. We are highly regulated. So the work that goes on is of the highest quality and highest standards, especially at Fidelity. We, we take that very seriously. We have strong governance around it. And then I would say financial services has been quick to adopt agile principles. And the way we operate, especially with AI, is in a very agile, nimble way so that you get the benefit of a big company and the investments and the use cases, but yet you operate in small teams and all to make a big difference. So as you can see, big fan of <laughs> big AI, fan. financial services, uh, and you know, there's a lot more for us to do to help people leave, live richer lives. I think that's great. <laughs> so we couldn't say it any better. Oh, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's super inspiring. Yeah. So if we want to help people find that career path for themselves, or I'm going to ask selfishly because I want to know how to learn more in this space too and get better, where can they go to learn or where can they go to experiment to build a little bit of those skills, whether it's just learning concepts or, or maybe they actually are trying to figure out what the tech stack is and how to get started. Do you have any recommendations for people? Yes, yes, yes. So the good thing is learning and education is being transformed by AI. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. so let's take the easy ways to learn. So the first, an open source takes the battery out. So let's first thing, if you're looking to learn some of the newer concepts around neural nets and what's driving, you know, transformers, there are a lot of courses online. Most of them are free. Andrew Inc.'s course on deep learning AI is really, really good. The good thing about those courses is they give you environments to also practice project work. So I would begin there and make sure that you understand some of the terminologies. The next place I would go is go to open source. Now, you might say, like, how do you go to open source? You can type in opensource.com, but, but, and, and, but most likely you, you may not get there. Hugging Face is a supermarket for open source algorithms. So huggingface.co. And once you go there, it's very easy to look at the algorithms that are available. You just need to navigate to the type of algorithm and select one. Uh, the first time it may take you a couple of minutes to do it, just to read up on which one you want to play with. But then it gives you the ability to take it and work it in what's called spaces, an environment where you can actually run the algorithms. And the only missing piece is data. And the beauty of this is there's a data supermarket with over tens of thousands of data sets. So you can move the data to the algorithm and you can be in business literally in minutes. So, so you can get pretty much hands-on. And then to keep up, I tend to use Medium. I like Medium as a reading source. I also tend to follow a lot of people on LinkedIn. And people like to talk about what they're seeing. So if you follow people, there'll be no shortage of content. It's just siphoning the one that you really want to read. Great. So maybe next time I see you, you'll be proficient in a couple of these algorithms. Adam. We'll check is that, is yeah. that, is that yeah. what uh, I'm, I'm hearing? I'm a little busy. Uh, <laughs> a little busy. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, proficient may be uh, too strong of a word, but uh, I'll take the challenge uh, of at least uh, trying to learn some more and being able to demonstrate. I'll take that challenge for sure. Just keep a low bar on expectations. <laughs> Yeah, but I think we're going to have to check in with you in a while too, as as we continue, whether in fidelity, financial services, and then the work that we're doing, whether it's for customers or for our associates and productivity and things of that nature with the moving marketplace and capability. We definitely want an episode in the future where we could talk about some additional work that we're just beginning. Okay, so Vipin, we typically go and ask our guests, you know, just to make you more real to people listening, <laughs> is a fun fact about yourself. 
Yeah, you know, so far, I, Maureen, I've liked all your questions, except this one. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything fun about me, but, you know, and I'm, I'm like, okay, what should I say? I mean, I could say a couple of things. We've had one or two other guests that have said that, and they, they came up with something. They came up with something. Like, yes. I could say I'm a pickleball addict, but I don't know if that's fun. I just say it's like, okay, he plays pickleball. <laughs> or I could say, you know, lately I have gotten into a card game called Bridge, and I like to solve tough bridge hands. But I figure that's still not enough. What I think may be really interesting is that today or any given point in time, I have a choice of four citizenships. Four. Four. Wow. <laughs> okay. I, I thought that might All be right, interesting. Surprise. Yeah, okay. that's I'm super yes. surprised. Yeah. And you might say like, yes. how, like how, yeah. how can you have, <laughs> how can you choose four? Yes. Okay. So I am a U.S. citizen. I've been naturalized here. I was born in the UK, so I have a birthright to British citizenship. My parents are Indian, and I grew up in India, so I can get Indian citizenship. I'm married to a Canadian, and as a spouse of a Canadian, I can get Canadian citizenship. Wow. All righty. Did I you study all that? <laughs> I don't think I know right. anybody that no. has that much optionality. That's, yeah. that's a first for me hearing that. That, that is there a fun go. fact. Uh, beats the pickleball. <laughs> that's right, for sure. So, Vipin, it's it's been fun. I mean, we we've dug into everything from Gen AI and hallucination yes. to tech careers to your optionality and citizenships around the world, depending on where you want to live. And it's amazing. You know, I know we're coming to the end, so we wanted to thank you for taking time out of your busy day, helping us understand some things, our listeners understand financial services and AI and really kind of what they could do with their career based on what you've seen. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Pippin. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us for Tech on Deck. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't yet, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you to our listeners and recording studio and editors who make our episodes possible. To learn more about tech opportunities, head over to tech.fidelitycareers.com. See you next time.